Well, good morning, Anchor. It is good to see you. How are we doing today? 10, 30 people? Good. There we go. Man, uh, you can... <laughs> You can tell the Seahawks aren't doing as well when the 1030 is more full than the 9 during football season. Uh, but we are glad that you are here. Uh, if you're new here, this is just such an awesome season for you guys to be here. Um, it's one of our best teaching series for someone who's new to Anchor to come to. Because how many times does a church say, hey, here's six weeks on who we are as a church? And so I love all of our first-time guests that are here. I would encourage you, hang around after this gathering for that Anchor track on Bible and Theology if you haven't uh, done that yet here at Anchor. It's going to be a great time, and Brian's uh, going to do an excellent job of saying, here's who Anchor is, here's what we believe. Uh, today we're talking about the value that we have of hospitality. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about hospitality, actually the first thing that comes to mind is the hospitality industry right? Hotels, airplanes, all those types of things. Uh, and if you have ever traveled or slept somewhere beside your own bed, you have had an experience with the hospitality industry. It's probably either been good or bad or both. And so take a second and, and think to yourself, you can turn to someone and talk to them if you want, uh, what has either been the best experience that you've had in the hospitality industry or the worst experience that you've ever had in the hospitality uh, think about that as we, as we kind of go through this. You can write it down in notes on your phone. Again, I want you to be thinking about that. Uh, for me, I had, a, I had a unique experience with the hospitality industry. It was my sophomore year of college, and my then-girlfriend, now-wife, Rose, had invited me to go on a ski trip with her whole family for a weekend. Uh, something you should know about Rose's family, uh, Rose's dad is what many would call thrifty, some would call cheap. Uh, and, you know, maybe he just wanted to maximize the funds possible, do lots of vacations, but he was known for doing vacations as cheaply as possible. If any of you, like my wife, have PTSD from road trips where you did not stop for 40 hours straight, <laughs> that was their family. Uh, and so Rose and her mom were really excited about this ski trip, though, because her dad had said, hey, this time we're going to go skiing for the weekend and we're going to stay at a lodge on the mountain. And they were so excited. Like, Dad finally didn't cheap out. Like, we're, it's going to be a great trip. And so me and her brothers and Rose and her parents all get into the car, and we, and we head out across the pass. And we get off the freeway, and we pull into the parking lot of the Econo Lodge in Cleelum. <laughs> now, if you have been to the Econo Lodge or driven by an Econo Lodge, it is not a lodge. <laughs> it is a motel. And, like, to this day, her father's like, yeah, it was a lodge by the mountain. And so I remember her brothers and I walk into the room that we were staying in, and there's just an inch and a half of dirt caked all over the floor. The beds have not been made and looked awful. Um, they did put us in a different room that at least looked like it had been attempted to be clean. And I remember the, the continental breakfast the next morning was four oranges in a bowl and a stack of those single-serve cereal containers, right, where you peel off the, the lid and there's, yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, that was not a great hospitality industry experience, to say the least. I think it's because my expectations, just like what happened, fell so far short of our expectations for that. On the other hand, one of the best experiences I've had with the hospitality industry was the first time I ever went into an airport lounge. 
Who here has been in an airport lounge? You've done an airport lounge? Okay, you are blessed souls. Um, I grew up traveling a ton. My parents are both from the East Coast originally. They moved out here because of the Navy. Um, And so I grew up always flying back East to visit my parents' families. And then in high in high school and in college and then out of college, I worked for a nonprofit that did travel all over the U.S. and around the world. And so I traveled a ton. And it wasn't until my late 20s that I finally went into an airport lounge. Now, before that, I had gotten really good at what I call airport survival skills. Airport survival skills are this. How do you get really ready for TSA so you can just go all the way through quickly? Uh, How do you scope out the area at the gate for a chair with an armrest that you don't have to share? And isn't in that weird double aisle where, like, people bring their rolling suitcases down and just destroy everyone's knees on their way through? Uh, How do you scope out the only power outlet in a a five-gate radius? I learned you can unplug the smart cart returns and plug your phone in there sometimes. It's a fun, free airport hack for you guys. (laughs) And then I went into a lounge, and, man, it changed my life. Like, there was little cubbies that you could put your stuff in. They had bathrooms that didn't smell and were spacious. They had showers. Uh, There was Wi-Fi that you didn't have to pay for and also worked. There's nothing worse than paying for the airport Wi-Fi, and then it doesn't work. Uh, And there was food. It was amazing. And I remember my friend who took me to this lounge, because he had the pass. I did not. And he goes, this isn't even a good lounge, John. But it was such a great experience because it so far surpassed my expectations of being in an airport. And so as we think about hospitality, as you think about your experiences with hospitality, I'd be willing to bet that your best and worst experiences are that way because of how it lined up with your expectations, not so much what was actually the acts of hospitality themselves. And so as we talk about hospitality this morning, we're going to ground it in Scripture because that's what we do here when we teach at Anchor. And we're going to be in the, in the Bible in the book of Luke. Now, for those of you that don't know, book of Luke is, is one of the four kind of accounts of Jesus' life. If you're looking for it in your paper Bible or in your Bible app, it's going to be about two-thirds of the way down or into the book. Um, and we're going to talk about hospitality as we hear the story of Jesus. And as we hear the story, as we read it together, I want you to be thinking, where were expectations far surpassed and where were expectations failed to have been met? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We'll also have it up on the screen as well. And it says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So that Jesus answered him. We're going to pause here. I don't know if the guy grumbled under his breath. I, don't, I like to think that he thought it in his head, and then Jesus answered him, and it just freaked him out. Because God does that to me. Uh, but he says this, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And then Jesus does a very Jesus-y thing here where he doesn't tell him the lesson straight up. He tells him a story. And I love that Jesus does it. I think it makes it easier for us to understand sometimes. Even though it seems confusing at first, we get there, I think, long easier because our defenses are down. But he says this, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, right? Because in that day it was customary to have water to wash your feet because you were traveling through dirt and camel poop and all sorts of things in your like sandals outside in the dust. Uh, But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet, right? It was customary at that time to greet uh, guests in your house with a kiss on the cheek. You did not put oil on my head, which would have been a, a nice hospitality gesture, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Now there's a lot that we can pull out from that passage. And the main thing that we're going to do today is talk about this contrast that we see. So on the one hand, we have this Pharisee who we know at the time Pharisee is a religious leader who had standing not just in the church, but also in the city civically as well. We know that he is wealthy enough to have people over to his house. We know that society looks to him and gives him standing, status, privilege, all these types of things. And then we also know that he utterly fails even performing the basic aspects of hospitality. And then on the other hand, we have a woman, a woman of some ill reputation, right? In scripture, it says she's lived a sinful life. Now, we want to pause here because this is really important. We know that it was much easier at this time for a woman to get a bad reputation than it was for a man to get a bad reputation. In fact, later on in Jesus's life, there's a moment where it says a woman was caught in the act of adultery, which is not a a solo activity, but she is the only one brought before Jesus. The dude's nowhere to be found. So what we don't know is how well-earned this woman's reputation was, but what we do know is that it was well-known. And that's an important distinction. And so we have this woman who has low status, low standing, low reputation, who far exceeds any normal gesture of hospitality. And so we see these contrasts here, right? A man in a position of leadership, power, and privilege who fails to be hospitable. And this woman who, again, has this reputation of living a sinful life who far exceeds it. And we see this contrast that Jesus is trying to get at, which is this, that true hospitality levels the ground. True hospitality levels the ground. Now, when I say true hospitality, I'm not talking about being nice. Right? Like, there's a difference, right? I would, I would actually contend that when you have someone over to, their, to your house to offer to take their coat and give them a glass of water is not true hospitality. Like, you're being nice. Like, those are the basic expectations of having someone over to your house. I would also say that it can't just be with people you like or are comfortable with, right? That's a club. But like hospitality, it actually says in Romans later in Scripture that it has to extend to all people that we encounter. That's true hospitality. And both today, but especially in Jesus' time, we know that hospitality is crucial. Sharing a meal with someone, inviting someone over to their house, these were intimate acts because it was saying, I am willing to be associated with you. I am viewing us as equals, and I'm okay with everyone knowing that we are associated together. We have the same standing. It's interesting. If we go back to verse 37, it says this about the woman. It says that she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She learned that he was there and she stood behind him. Jesus is in the doorway. She came uninvited. And it's interesting, scholars have looked at this passage and they've actually decided by and large that this wasn't just, you know, hey, Jesus, come hang out and eat food in my house. Like, this was a banquet. 
There's lots of guests there that we see later in, in this passage. Um, and so it's really interesting. Jewish custom at the time dictated that uninvited guests could come to the banquet, but they couldn't be fully present. And actually, if you were uninvited at a banquet, you could be there, you could be in the room, but you had to be on the edges of the room. You had to be against the walls of the room. And so she was allowed to be there, but not where she was kneeling behind Jesus. And it's interesting, we look back, and with that context, we look at the Pharisee, and it, it seems clear he's so upset because it seems like this woman doesn't know her place. That's why he's so angry about I think even today we see a lot of churches do this as well, whether it's literally or metaphorically, where, where a church can say, hey, all are welcome, but, but not really. Where you say, it's okay to be messy here, but can you stand on the side of the room so you don't get anyone else or anything else messy? And I love that Jesus doesn't do that. We have this woman who's, who's sitting where she's not supposed to be, hovering, caring for Jesus, hoping, praying, begging that maybe Jesus will be the one to look at her differently than everyone else. And he is, and he does. And it's so crucial that in that moment, he not only does that, but he gives her standing where she had none. In a world that had pushed her to the sides literally and said, you're not worth being associated with. Know your place. It's over there. Jesus brings her status to that above someone who had immense privilege in this world. There's a hymn that has a line that gets quoted a lot. It says this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus knows this. He demonstrates this idea that true hospitality is level at the foot of the cross. He knows that all of us are just as broken as everyone else. As Brian said, we are imperfect as everyone else. But he also knows this. All of us are just as loved and invited as anyone else. An old professor of mine said this, that Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. I love that. This is a powerful moment where Jesus is leveling the ground. And he's showing us how radical true hospitality can be. In fact, hospitality can be so radical. I think that the way Jesus did hospitality, these kind of actions were the driving force in Jesus' death. And sure, it's not what the, the, the religious or the civic leaders said at Jesus' trial, because you can't do that. But it, it was for sure the driving force. You see, when you start to make room for those that society has pushed aside, when you start to elevate those that society has tried to push down, those at the top of society start to get nervous. They start to get anxious. Maybe they don't like change. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're used to the way things are for being charitable. Sometimes, as we see in Scripture, they get out now angry. They start to feel threatened. It's so important. Jesus said these words. He said, I did not come with a sword to conquer the rulers of his time, right? But he also told his disciples he did come to turn the world upside down. Not by physically attacking by those in leadership, but reminding everyone, those that society has pushed to the bottom and those at the top, that everyone is on level ground that we are all broken, that we are all imperfect, but we are also loved and invited. I think this, Jesus' hospitality threatened the leaders of his time, and it was uncomfortable. When we start giving standing to those that that the world has pushed aside, it's uncomfortable. It's It's a status change. I think this hospitality probably should feel a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that. I think this hospitality should feel a little bit uncomfortable. As we think about hospitality, though, in our context today, I want you to think about who those people are for you. The people that you don't often associate with or don't want to be associated with. The people that when you have an interaction with, maybe you go back later and go, what was my motivation in that moment? I had, I'll go first. I had a moment like that last week. Here at, uh, at the, our property here, um, we get a decent amount of houseless individuals coming through. 
Um, we partner with a wide range of community organizations to help uh, give services to those who are willing to say yes to it. We've had great interactions with houseless people. We've had bad interactions with houseless people. It's people, right? Last week, we had a couple who were living in their van, and it broke down in our parking lot. And they'd been camping out for three days, trying to get it fixed, trying to get it fixed, trying to get it fixed. They didn't have a phone, so they asked if they could borrow mine to make a phone call. Now, I've had my phone, like, taken and run when someone has asked to borrow it before, right? Um, and so when they asked to use my phone, I, I was like, okay, what's the number? So I dialed it in, put it on speaker, had them make the call. It happened a couple times. I didn't really think about it. And I think this was a God thing. Like a couple of days later, God was like pressing in on me. He's like, hey, John, let's think about that moment you had. And I realized in that moment, like I wasn't scared about them taking my, my phone. Like they were, they were both a decent amount older than me. I knew I could catch them. <laughs> I, did, I did cross country. I'm out of shape, but I could catch them. Maybe not a sprint, but distance, I got it. And so I started thinking, like, what was I worried about with my phone? And I realized, like, I didn't want it to get broken, and I didn't want it to get messy. I had this moment where I didn't even know I was consciously thinking this. I don't think I was, but in the back of my head, I had a thought where I said, these people are too dirty to use my phone. I got work to do. I'd be willing to bet that if you had those moments in your life, like, and you ask God, like, you've probably got work to do as well. I don't know who that group of people is for you where you should go back and look and say, what was my motivation in my decisions? Maybe for you, it's houseless individuals. Maybe for you, it's addicts who just, you, you're like, why can't you get help? Maybe for you, it's people who voted differently. Maybe for you, it's, it's the parents of kids who don't treat your kids well. Maybe it's someone on the school board. Maybe it's someone who keeps posting comments on that community Facebook page that you know you're not supposed to go back to, but you keep finding yourself going back to angry time and time again. And we've got to remember that every single one of these people are made in the image of God. And they are worthy of this hospitality. And remember, we are all broken. We are all imperfect, but we are also all loved. I think there's something really cool that we see Jesus do in this moment, which is this: he does this radical act of hospitality for this woman, and it's not even his own home. I think this, that true hospitality isn't limited to your space. It's not limited to your space. I think a lot of times we look at hospitality as stuff that we do in the spaces that we can control, that we own, that we're comfortable with. And, and we're going to stay here for a second because that is really important. Right? Like, it is really important to lead out in hospitality in those spaces that you are comfortable with. We do that here, right? Like, we did coffee today. We got a hospitality team here that's pretty big. The, the goal of all those volunteers is this, is from the moment someone's car approaches our parking lot to the moment that they get back in their car at the end of the gathering and leave, that they feel welcomed. That this is a place that, like we say, has open arms, open doors, and you can belong here before you believe. It's important. And then we have a team that we call meters um, who will like walk around the lobby and look for people who look lost or look new and, and try to start a conversation and say, hey, I would love to get to know you better outside of a Sunday morning. It's an awesome team that like makes my heart nervous as an introvert, but like they do awesome things. And they're not creepy, which is why they're great for that job. And I would be so awkward. So thank you, people who do that. Right? And we, we try to say like, we encourage people like, sit with people at the gatherings you invite them to, right? It's nice to say there's a seat for you. Hospitality is saying, will you come sit with me? We try as staff to be intentional about what we wear. And I promise you, like those who hung with us through pandemic filming and looked at Brian's wardrobe, like it was intentional. It was, I promise you. Um, 
right? Because it matters. Uh, at my last church, I was in a weird spot because I was like good at working with teenagers and good with finance, and so I was doing both for this church. And uh, on Sundays, I would dress down, and that kind of got me in trouble with some of the older guys in the church who were like, oh, if you're in charge of the church's money, you should take it more seriously. I'm like, it's a, it's a t-shirt, Bill. Like, it's a t-shirt. But for them, it was a sign that I wasn't taking it seriously. But for me, my heart was this, is I knew that I had students who came to youth on Wednesday night that were going to show up on Sunday morning. And when those students showed up on Sunday morning, they were definitely going to be tired, possibly hungover, and for sure not wearing their Sunday best. Like, we just don't, and so I was like, I want a teenager to walk into the room and see someone who's dressed similarly to them, because that matters. It matters, because when you walk in and see that, you go, oh, this is a place where I actually can belong. That's so important. It's so important to do hospitality in the spaces that we're comfortable with, but I also think this, we probably can and should extend hospitality even in spaces that aren't on our own. Maybe that's the coffee shop for you, where you work there and you always see the same person working there. And you're like, maybe, maybe I should do the awkward thing and talk to them and just get to know them. For students, maybe that's the lunchroom. My middle school friends hanging out with us today, like I cannot think of a place more in need of true hospitality than the middle school lunchroom. Maybe for you it's this break room at your office. Maybe for you it's that meeting that you're leading at your workplace and you're like, I actually need to extend hospitality to a team member even if I feel it might risk my, my status at my job a little bit. You see, when we start to realize that hospitality is more than just following norms and expectations and being nice, we start to understand that we can extend real radical hospitality, the kind that levels the ground in any space that we're a part of. I remember the moment for me that this flipped, the moment for me where I understood this. Uh, last December, my wife Rose was about eight, eight and a half months pregnant. I was working from home like a lot of us were in December of 2020. And Rose came back from picking up the groceries at the store and came running in with just a look in her eyes. Rose had started bleeding a lot. We had no idea why. So I called our neighbors two houses down who also loved Jesus and we gotten to know and they grabbed their four-week-old baby and came over to our house to be there as our older two kids were napping. Remember, I put Rose in the car and we drove as fast as we could safely to Tacoma General. And uh, blessedly, everything was fine. Turns out her water had broken and pulled a blood clot with it. Terrified us, though, right? So now, we, this was five, maybe six weeks before our, our child's side was supposed to be born, and we just, we were not prepared. So Rose texted her friend Taylor, who we'd known for quite a while, and said, hey, can you come hang with our kids? Because they're going to wake up from nap, and I want them to see a familiar face. And so Taylor dropped everything. Her husband dropped everything to be with their kids so that Taylor could come over to our house and be with our kids to be a friendly face when they woke up. She packed a hospital bag for Rose while being with two toddlers, which is a miracle. <laughs> she also somehow got the toddlers to clean up all their toys and then packed their bags to go to my parents for the week. Once the, I, was, I was okay with the staff, I'm like, okay, you guys got Rose, I'm gonna go home and, and get our stuff. I went home and, and Taylor helped me get the kids in my, my mom's car, move the car seats and do all that to go up to my mom and dad's for the week. I packed up my stuff, I grabbed the bag that Taylor had packed for Rose, and I was heading out the door, and Taylor, I said, you come? And she's like, no, I'll, I'll close up, it's okay. I'm just right behind you. A few hours later, Rose gets a text from Taylor in the, in the hospital. After I had left, Taylor cleaned her entire house. She waited for the crockpot meal that Rose had, been, had set up and was cooking that morning to be done, and she packed it up and put it in the freezer. 
and she did three loads of our laundry. Which, like, it, like, you guys had a really positive reaction. Can I be honest in this moment? My only reaction in the moment was like, oh, our friend touched my dirty underwear. <laughs> like, it felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, some of it felt uncomfortable because it's, like, funny uncomfortable. Some of it was like, oh, I don't like people helping me that much. But, man, it felt so good to come home to, like, three loaves of... Like, she waited for them to dry and folded them. Like, that felt so cool to come back to, but it felt uncomfortable at first. We know this. We know that true hospitality is found in Jesus. And he has an uncomfortable moment with this woman, right? The most hospitable thing that Jesus does, it wasn't allowing the woman to wash his feet. It wasn't putting the Pharisee in his place. It wasn't saying, no, you didn't waste that perfume. It's totally fine. It it was this. It's that he forgave her sins. It's that he forgave her sins. This most radical act of hospitality, the most ground-leveling thing that Jesus ever does is forgive our sins. And if I'm being really honest, as someone who's, who said yes to Jesus and had Jesus forgive my sins, like, it's uncomfortable. I don't like that I don't have it all together. I don't like that I need help. I have parts of my life, like all of us do, that I have tucked away, that I have pushed aside, that I have hidden away. And I was like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't get that. Like, no one gets that. And here's the scary, uncomfortable thing about when you say yes to Jesus and the freedom that he gives us, is Jesus doesn't come into our life and just be like, oh, that's interesting. Like, no, Jesus comes into our life and he looks at the spots that we've hidden away most, and and not only does he ask about it, he demands to get into it. He demands to look at our dirty laundry and he demands to get into it. And here's the really cool thing on the other side, because as uncomfortable as it is to have anyone be in that part of your life, let alone God himself, on the other side of it is freedom. And on the other side of it is hope because Jesus says this. He says, I have seen that. I have seen the things that you've pushed aside. I've seen the dirt, the mess, the yuck, the gunk, everything that you don't want someone to see. And I have gone in there and I've seen it. And guess what? I'm here. I still love you. I'm not going anywhere. And that mess, taking care of it for you. That's what Jesus does. I think that real hospitality has to be uncomfortable at first to the recipient, at least a little bit. Because I think it's only on the other side of that discomfort that we get to see some incredible life-changing moments happen. We're going to have the band come up as we, as we close this out. And I just think this, as we as a community have this heart of hospitality, there's a really important step for all of us to take an important next step. You're like, that sounds great. How do I get started on this? And it's simply this. Make space. Make space. We make space here. Right? It's why we want to make sure that there's chairs for everyone. It's why we have the family room and the soothing room for, for parents with littles. It's why we have the classrooms. It's why we, we have amazing leaders that make space for teenagers during the week. We have dreams for the, the space out back that there's plenty of, but man, we, wanna, we need to make it into something. I just think this, what would it look like for us as a people to make space? That radical moment of hospitality that changed how I view it completely, that happened in my own home as I was a recipient, was only possible because our friends Taylor and Joe made space for us. They were not too busy for us. I love that. They did a great, I think also with hospitality, when you make space, you anticipate needs before people even know they have them. There's a trend going around on Instagram and TikTok that I really love, and it was after, it was months after Sai was born, and I loved it. Um, and it was just talking about this, like, if you're going to go over and see a new baby, like, you got to do something besides bring a frozen meal. Like, new moms are tired, guys. 
I'm like, we gotta do something besides bring them a meal that they got thrown in the oven again later. <laughs> like, come over and offer to vacuum, offer to fold laundry, offer to do the dishes, offer to take the older kids out on a trip. I love that. Like, our lives have been changed because of people being hospitable in that moment. People in this church. I still remember the first time that Rose and I moved here. There's someone who's in leadership on this church. She showed up at our house with a baby strapped to her back and unpacked our entire kitchen for us. Like, that's what this community does. I didn't know we needed someone to unpack our kitchen. Rose did. I didn't. Rose came back. She's like, oh, that's incredible. We need to thank whatever Satan did that. I think with this, we're called to make space. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that's in your finances. Maybe that's making space in your, in your minivan. Maybe that's making space at your dining room table. Maybe that's making space in your calendar. After we get through this teaching series in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about what does it look like to make space in, in our time and in, in, our, in our treasure and all these types of things. Here at Anchor, we also want to make space for emotions and for healing. Last Sunday, we had a powerful moment during the gatherings where there was people coming forward for prayer about the needed healing. There's physical healing or emotional healing. We want to keep space for that. We have people who would love to pray for you this morning as well. They're in the same spots that they usually are. And here's the thing, like Jesus got in the mess with this woman and because he's Jesus, he could do it without ever having met her before. If we want to be a community that models real hospitality, if we want to be a community that really gets into the weeds with each other, we have to get to know each other. It starts with open arms. It starts with open doors. It starts with belonging before you believe, but it cannot end there. We have to keep pressing forward. We have to keep being close enough with each other. We have to keep being close enough that we can see and get into each other's dirty laundry and not for gossip, but for healing. Can we be a community that's not afraid of that? Maybe we can just be a community that even if we are afraid of that, we're still going to push into it because we know it's what God is asking us to do. A community that's known for our radical hospitality, that's leveling the ground, that gives status and dignity to those who've been robbed of it. A community that shares with each other. It's a really radical thing that Jesus does. It's a really radical thing that we're called to. If you're here and you're thinking, man, John, I can't, I can't do that on my own. You're right. You're not supposed to. True hospitality is found only in Jesus. I know this, the more that we lean into the hospitality that Jesus has, the more we lean into the person of Jesus, the more we lean into the things that he has offered us, the better we're going to be able to offer it to those around us. If you're having a hard time making space for other people, can I just ask you this? Will you make space for Jesus first? I think you'll be surprised what happens to your schedule when you do that. Underneath your chair is, is some communion elements. Jesus was so good at these moments. The last time he had a meal with his, his closest followers, he had this special moment of significance where he said, this bread is my body, which is going to be broken for you. This cup is my blood, which has been shed for you. And he, he set up this, this tradition of remembering him and that sacrifice and that radical leveling the ground hospitality in like a two-minute moment. And we get to remember that. So at some point during this next song, or even before it, if you're ready, if you said yes to Jesus, even if you said yes to Jesus today, I would encourage you to, to take that communion. There's a couple things I want you to do, though, as we go into this next song, though. The first is this, is I want you to pray. We lean in 
and just talk to God. Maybe, maybe you had that, that moment where I told that story about the houseless individuals and, and my, my blind spot. You want to ask God, God, where, where are my blind spots? God, where are the people that I'm not willing to be associated with? God, heal my heart in that. Maybe you're here, though, and, and you're saying, man, I need to learn how to make space, and God, I don't know where to start. Will you just talk to God about that today? Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I need to say yes to Jesus and the true hospitality that he offers. At some point after you pray, if you said yes to Jesus, again, even today, we'd love for you to take communion with us. And again, at the, at the front kind of wings of the room, there's people who would love to pray with you so you don't feel like you're going through this alone. Church, will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your radical hospitality. And God, I don't even know what to do with the fact that that sentence sounds like an understatement still when we look at everything that you've done. God, we thank you for the fact that you say that, that yes, all of us are broken. Yes, all of us are imperfect, but all of us are loved and invited into a relationship with you. God, I pray if there's anyone here who's struggling with saying yes to your hospitality, God, that you would just let them know you're here and you have them and you see them. God, will no one leave here feeling lonely? God, I pray this as a community. Will you continue to show us where our blind spots are? Will you continue to show us the moments that we've pushed people to the side of the room that you've told us not to? God, as a community, will you press in on our schedule, on our time, on our dining room table, on our finances? God, will you show us the areas where you need to make space for others because that's what you did for us. God, I thank you for everything that you've done, everything you're doing, and will continue to do in this community. And God, may we be a truly hospitable community. Amen.